All right. Well, welcome to the podcast today. We have Rachel Hind on board. She is a pre in a previous life, a lawyer and accountant. I can't believe you trained in both of those things and did that for 25 years. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness you've moved on. Well, I shouldn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> my husband is a lawyer. Um, yeah. I know in great detail how demanding that whole life is as, as both a, a lawyer and an accountant. She is now, Rachel is now a nationally certified recovery coach and NLP practitioner and has dedicated her life to helping people be their best from a health and sobriety point of view. She is also a health and sobriety ambassador. Her accent, I just asked her about, is a little bit Kiwi and a little bit London and a little bit Aussie. So welcome, Rachel. Hello, I'm absolutely just excited to be here today, Zoe. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this interview as well. Um, so a health and sobriety ambassador with a background of 25 years in a very left brain, that's why I scoffed, because <laughs> I'm so right brain, creative, <laughs> person oriented, legal and accounting background. What gives? What's your story? What's my story? Yeah, it's, it's quite a difference. Yeah. You know, I started off really, uh, obviously, in my 20s, working in uh, investment banking, actually. So I was doing uh, more banking, using my legal and accountancy skills in banking. And obviously, working in that segment, uh, there was a lot of drinking going on. You know, obviously, drinking would be what you would do for team events. It's what you would do to uh, reward yourself if you got a big deal. Um, the culture was very much work hard, play hard. <laughs> yeah. In London at the time. So it was very much, you know, do the long hours, you know, stressful job, and then you reward yourself by going out to team events that involved a lot of drinking, which was really fun. You know, it, it was fun. It was social. You know, it, it, was, it was great times. And then I got into my 30s, and that's when I had kids. And uh, obviously got, I got married and had kids. And I was still obviously in the stressful job, the long hours. And what I found is that my actual drinking started turning to more habitual drinking, more to cope with stress. So I was, you know, sort of using the wind down wines to de-stress. Um, I don't know if you familiarize with that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wind down, like just chill out and cool down with alcohol. Yeah, cool down, yeah. Because, you know, like I was... As a working parent, a working mum, I was juggling a household, juggling small children, obviously, you know, had a relationship, had a husband, and I had a really stressful job, a very high-performing career, you know, a high-performing job requiring a lot of, demanding a lot from you. So the, the, the wine was my, my de-stress, my coping mechanism. Actually, I've done quite a lot of work with the wine industry, and I know that's one of their interesting statistics, is that the biggest growing population of alcoholics is 30-year-old moms. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Like, especially now, middle-aged moms. Um, the the middle-aged mom drinking has increased in the last 10 years by 85%. <gasps> wow. So it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm 44 now. So it's a middle-age group that's really, really increased. So, yeah, so it got to it got to that. And I just really started to notice it. It was starting to negatively impact my life. You know, like I was, nothing outwardly looked like it was falling apart. I was still, you know, keep doing well at my job. I was still running half marathons. So I was still keeping fit and healthy. It was inwardly, you know, I was suffering from huge anxiety. Um, not sleeping well, just not showing up um, as the best version of myself, really. Just 
I knew I had more in me. And I knew I wasn't living my life to the full potential. What was really the crux for me or the, or the moment that I changed is I actually got some, uh, some blood tests done and it came back. And I was 38 at the time. It came back and I was, I was super fit, you know, running half marathons, you know, nothing you would have thought was, was wrong if you're looking outwardly, outward looking in. I got some results back and it said I had elevated liver enzymes. Oh, what does that mean? So that means it, it means you got elevated liver, which is pretty much caused by drinking levels, which leads to fatty liver, which leads to cirrhosis. So oh. if you don't do anything about it, it goes, you know, the next stage is fatty liver and the next stage is cirrhosis. And that's where most, you know, drinking problems are actually found out is in the, is in the liver. And so that's when I was like, whoa. <laughs> Something's got to change here, you know, like not only is my health telling me, my anxiety was also telling me that I was not living, living my life as who I wanted to be, you know, like it was very much who I wanted to be versus how I was actually living my life were quite different. So that's when I go, wow, I've got to get help. And I went to, um, this was four years ago, so there wasn't a lot of help out there. Um, there's either Smart Recovery or AA. And... Um, I went to Smart Recovery, which is very much based on cognitive behavioural therapy. So it's very much making you take 100% responsibility for your actions, as opposed to AA, which is a different mindset, which is actually saying that you're powerless to the problem. Um, Smart Recovery is making you take responsibility for your problem and you're in control. So I really embrace that because I've found that, you know, with anything I've needed to change in my life, I've actually got to get back in the driver's seat of my life and say, I'm 100% responsible for my actions. I've got to change this problem. (laughs) What am I doing that's causing this? How can I react differently so I get a different outcome? And so I I did smart recovery and, and I embraced it so much. I was hugely committed that they actually asked me to come and be a trainer. So they actually asked me because I, I just embraced it so much. And that's when I, I found that, you know, it needed to be sobriety for me because I just had so much I wanted to unlock of my full potential. Um, you know, I wanted to show up as, as me and be the best version of me every day. And alcohol and drinking was holding me back, you know, and everyone is different, but I knew for me that it was no longer doing me any favors. So Rachel, I just wanted to check in on a couple of things. So you got this test and it showed that you had elevated liver enzymes, which if left if left alone, could cascade into all sorts of different horrible things. Yeah. And then you made the decision to go get help. I'm interested in that moment when you'd said, right, I can't do this on my own. What was that like? Was it was it hard? Was it scary? What was the first meeting like? Were you is it a one-on-one thing or is it a group thing? Or it was a group session. It was really scary because and this is the biggest thing I've found now, Zoe, is that it was being honest to myself. Um, you know, like that, that real like, oh my God, you know, instead of carrying around the secret or this burden of knowing that you've that there's something not right and but not sharing it with anyone and struggling alone, it was the first time I've been honest to myself. And that's when I reached out. And then obviously I'm needing to be honest to other people. And it was that realization that I was not being honest with myself. And at that moment, and when you actually actually be honest with yourself, that's when you, it's your first stage of healing because 
then you can be honest with other people. But you've got to actually look inwardly first and go, what's not going right here? What, what am I not being honest to myself about? What am I carrying around the secret I'm carrying around? So did your husband know about any of your drinking and how did he respond to your declaration of this? Oh, he, you know, we, we often drank together. It was, you know, it was, it was often, you know, something that we'd done. You know, we both had lived in London. Uh, we both had been in, you know, banking type careers. So it was, you know, something we had done together. But the problem is that everyone is different, okay? And it became a problem for me, you know, a lot earlier and it affected me a lot. It had a bigger impact on me than it did him. So that's what I say. Everyone is different. So what might be a problem for me may not be a problem for somebody else. You know, two glasses of wine might be a problem for, for one person, but for somebody else, it's not a problem. So everyone's different and you have to, only you know when it's a problem for you and it's negatively impacting your life. Did your husband go with you to, to the, to this, um, what do we call it? Smart recovery. No, no. Smart recovery. He didn't go with you? No, he didn't because it wasn't a problem for him. He was, I mean, he he could see it was a problem for me because of how it was impacting who I was, you know? My husband's like that too. Like we we have, I cannot metabolize alcohol very well at all. Like I just, one sniff and it seems my head is spinning and he's different. He's got like a Viking constitution. And so he can handle his drink quite differently. So it's interesting that you say that. It's And that's quite challenging too, because if you're the one who is susceptible and doesn't handle the alcohol well, it, um, it can be quite hard to admit that, especially because of the social stigma around non-drinking. And it, it is a bit of a, a social stigma. Um, what, what's your experience with that side of social things, the stigma. social? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it is. I think when you initially start out, it's like you feel like the complete fish out of water. But, um, you know, what I have found, and I have actually used it as an opportunity, is sometimes the deepest pain and suffering can, can make you show up as the best version of yourself. Because, you know, like I found, you know, like you say, getting those, uh, those blood tests and, and obviously making this change because I, I was really going through pain and suffering because, you know, I had big high anxiety. I was, you know, it was impacting my moods. That's actually brought the greatest opportunity because now I'm actually, you know, living a life. Now I've got a business helping other people. I'm now living a life, being the best version of myself because it was that pain and suffering that actually I learned to listen that has made me grow. And not everybody gets to learn lessons from the pain and suffering. That's for sure. So let's go back four years ago. You started Smart Recovery. You embraced it. They made you a trainer. And then what happened? So, yeah. And then and then it really just went from there. So I started leading sessions. And I've led over like 180 sessions in the community um, at Northern Beaches. And now I'm leading one in the city, actually, in Sydney. And I started leading sessions. And people were like, are you doing this privately? <laughs> Can we see you one-to-one privately? Because, you know, one group session a week is not enough. And what I found is that people wanted more intensity. They wanted more sessions. They wanted a more tailored approach. So something that was customized to them. And they were wanting something where they've got probably more confidentiality. So privacy and confidentiality, because the group sessions, obviously you're in a group and it's confidential what goes on in the room, but you're having to share with other people. And so a lot of people 
we want in the confidentiality. So that's how I branched out and and uh, started setting up my own private practice, helping people change their relationship with alcohol because I was asked. There was a need for it. People were coming to me and saying, would you help me privately? And that's how it developed. That's sort of when I set up my um, business, could be your best self. And, yeah, it really just evolved from that. You know, and, and because there just wasn't anything out there like that when I was doing it. And I remember thinking when I went through this four years ago, God, I wish there was something more. There was a lot of online communities. There was, you know, there's obviously psychologists and there was, you know, the smart recovery and AA. But there was no one I could go to out there that had had lived experience of having the problem themselves and had had, a, you know, structured training with the proven behavioural science tools and, and was available on call, you know, and, and it was all of those things that I needed that, that I just thought, my God, there's such an opportunity for this type of business out there because often we don't need it. Like for my clients, I do a, we do a session at the time that they're most likely to trigger, which can either be a Thursday night or a Friday night. We actually chat then because it's not actually... It's not always the times, you know, your you, you one-hour appointment in the middle of the day and the week. That's when you need it. It's, it's on a Thursday or Friday night when, you, when you've got work drinks or when, when you've got a social event or a work event. That, that's when you actually need that motivation or that reminder of why you're doing this. And, and that's what the service that I offer is giving that on-call service to talk to people when they need it the most. So how do you help people deal with that, that social pressure to have a drink, have a drink? What's your key tip there? The biggest thing is getting behind the why is, is you know, I always, I always say the problem is not the problem. <laughs> you know, when people initially come and see me, yeah, drinking or, you know, drug taking is a problem because it's the biggest problem that they see right now. But after a period of, of having time off it, and I always say to people, you know, we need at least six weeks of a, you know, a sobriety period where, you, where, you, where we can get you a clear mind, you know, clear mind, focus, you've got an unaltered mind, then we can look at what's actually the underlying problem here. Because the drinking is only the symptom. There's an underlying problem and that's the root cause and we need to get to the root cause because we could change the symptom, you know, we could stop the drinking, but if they don't work on the underlying root cause, the why, then it could reappear something else. Like, like uh, for example, I can give you an example of what happened with me, is that I worked on the drinking, I stopped the drinking, but because I hadn't done a lot of work on the self-discovery on the why, the why behind it, I actually turned to excessive exercising. <laughs> I started, oh, really? I started running like marathons and just, you know, excessively running because the actual real root cause hadn't been dealt with. So it came out as another symptom so I had to work on the why and that, that involved going back and, and re-looking at my belief system and looking at, you know, going back to significant events and, and people from my past and letting go of, you know, looking into my conditioning. And that typically is a root cause and you need to go back and look at that to then to let go of that and to, let, to look at your past and your conditioning to then ensure that, it doesn't play out as any other problem behavior because what I see mostly is that it's really down to self-sabotage. We do this. We have these problem behaviors because we're trying to self-sabotage ourselves. And why do we try and self-sabotage? What's that about? 
because we, we, we've got negative emotions and limiting beliefs that have not been dealt with. We, we've got beliefs that are often not our own. You know, our beliefs are only feelings of certainty, but we actually think that they're true. You know, we actually think that our beliefs are true. We can rewrite them. You know, some of the biggest ones I see with clients is that, you know, the belief that they're not good enough, they're not worthy, you know, they don't deserve success. And so when you've got those limiting beliefs, playing out in your mind, all of that self-talk chatter, you go and sabotage your results. You know, you could be doing a reward. You could be self-sabotaging because you could be a reward. You know, tell me if this sounds familiar. You know, had a great day. You've had some really you know, positive news. And then you go and self-sabotage and go and, you know, drink two bottles of wine because you've had some really good news. Or it could be for relief. You know, relief being from stress or something that's gone up. You need relief, so you go and self-sabotage again with the alcohol. So it's it's this reward or relief circuitry in our mind that we go and then go, oh, these limiting beliefs kick in, and then you go, uh, and I need it, and you know, for reward or relief, and we go and self-sabotage. And self-sabotage can take any form, you know. Mine was drinking. Other people might have, you know, overworking, over-exercising, you know, overeating, gambling, you know, it, it can take all forms. But um, we typically all have something where we go and self-sabotage with, some problem behaviour that we go and self-sabotage in terms of reward or relief. So I'm curious about your methodologies. So the program that you started with uses CBT, Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, and then you've trained as a neurolinguistic practitioner is there a difference between the two or how would you describe each of those um, processes? They're quite similar. They're very much, you know, you know, I very much say to look in, and this is where I, I'm loving your leadership podcast because, you know, I believe, I firmly believe leadership is very much, in my case, was based on leading myself first. Lead myself first and then I can lead others and to do that, I needed to take 100% responsibility for all, all of my actions and behaviours. So I needed to get back in the driving seat of my life. So I needed to stop blaming, you know, like I was, you know, excessively drinking. I was often blaming, you know, stress, you know, the job. You know, I was, I was in a job that no longer inspired me. I was blaming the boss or the job or the... You've got to actually have the mirror and turn the mirror and look at yourself and go, what am I doing that's causing this? What can I change? And and that's what I had to do first is actually take 100% responsibility for my actions instead of blaming the event, blaming the person. Because as long as we're blaming or denying or justifying, we're not going to change ourselves. I have a question too then because it it strikes me that uh, and you mentioned at the beginning there was a choice between smart recovery and AA and you made a comment that AA sort of says that it's not your fault whereas smart recovery says everything is your fault or you're responsible for everything. Could you explain that a little bit more to me um, what your perspective on the AA process is versus the smart recovery process? So the AA, I mean AA's obviously help millions and millions of people all over the world and it's a program that's been around since the 1930s. So it's very much based on your powerless to the problem. So you really surrender yourself to the problem. So that's one of the steps is that you're powerless. So you're really handing over the problem and saying, 
you know, you need the support of the 12-step process for recovery. And that's why, you know, they have pretty strict procedures about how many meetings you need to attend in so many days. And, yeah, it's, it's very rule-based and it's very much based on the group support and that, you know, you need to sort of follow the 12-step process. Whereas smart recovery, uh, and it's very much based about abstinence, okay, Whereas smart recovery is based on harm minimization. So it's based on the theory that you can slip up and you can have lapses and you don't go back to day one. So, and I really like that approach because, because I've had lapses, you know, I've had lapses and I don't believe you unlearn all the learning that you've learned. I believe you still go forward. As long as you go forward every day, then you always, you can never erase that learning and the experience you have as long as you grow from it. Whereas in AA, you go back to day one. So if you have a lapse, you go back to day one. Smart recovery is not like that. So it's, and it's very much you are in the driving seat. So you've got to take responsibility for for your own actions. So that means, you know, you having to, you know, you could get triggered and you need to then pause and decide uh, what is the course of action I'm going to take based on what outcome I want. So I very much, I love the equation E plus R equals O, which E equals event and and R equals response and O equals outcome. This is borrowed from Jack Canfield. And the event's always going to be fixed. For example, if I was at work and I got a poor performance review, okay, I could either go, okay, I got a poor performance review. That's I could either respond by blaming my boss, saying it's all my boss's fault, um, you know, I don't like the job anyway. It's all my boss's fault. Uh, what am I going to go and do? I'm going to go and drink a bottle of wine just to, you know, make myself feel better and moan about my boss. <laughs> or, so that's how I respond. I can respond that way, which is likely going to have negative outcome because I'm going to, you know, the, the, pro- the underlying problem has not been solved and I'm going to feel worse the next day and my stress levels are probably going to be higher. Or I could respond and say, okay, I've got a poor performance review okay, what did, what did I do to cause that? Okay, what did I do? Oh, well, I've, I haven't probably been, you know, showing up as the best version of myself every day. You know, I, I could be getting to work earlier. I could have asked more questions. I could have been more honest about, you know, the mistakes I made. You know, looked inward and then gone, okay, well, let's work out how I can better approach this. And then what outcome do you think you'll get? You know, you have a more positive outcome. So you've got two different responses there based on one one fixed event. And those two different responses will give you two completely different outcomes. So Rich, I'm curious then, self-responsibility is a key theme that's coming through our conversation. I'm wondering, do you believe that um, alcoholism is an addiction or do you believe it's a choice? Uh, I believe... I believe I believe it's it's an addiction because I believe if nothing changes, nothing changes. So it's not often I do believe that you need to make big changes in your life and treat it as a priority number one if you need to for you to get back in control of it. So you know, like it's it's often not a choice for people when you know it's gone so progressive and chronic. And, and there's varying levels, you know, like most of the people that I work with, it's, they haven't hit rock bottom, but they, they've, I always see it like, you know, they're getting, 
you know, they're sitting in a comfortable chair and the smoke alarms are starting to go off, okay? Smoke alarms are starting to go off and you're thinking, do I listen to these smoke alarms and do I get out of the house before, before it burns down or do I just sit in my chair and just wait till the house burns down? You know, do you take heed of the warning signs going off in your life or do you just keep on going until you hit a rock bottom moment? Most people I see are listening to the warning signs and coming and going, look, you know, things aren't going quite as I want them in my life right now. I know if I don't do something now, something negative, you know, is going to happen in my life. Yeah, that can be quite scary. And I think that's, that's the scary thing about alcoholism is that if you do, if you are susceptible to it, like it has more of an impact on you than it might have on others to actually heed the warning signs is probably the biggest breakthrough at first, like it was for you when you said, hang on, I need help. I need to shift from this. So I'm curious now, um, you had like a major life transition at this point, right? So you went through the recovery program and then you've chucked in a 25 year career as a, as a lawyer, as an accountant in the financial services industry, and you've set up your own um, personal transformation business. How was that decision? Was it easy? Was it hard? Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, it, it, was, a, it was a lot of things, Zoe. It was a lot of things. It wasn't just, you know, like the, the drinking and the sobriety journey. It was just one of the things I had to change. <laughs> because what, what it came down to, you know, I define success and happiness now as living a life according to your values, okay? And I had the wrong values driving me to begin with. You know, I, I had my values completely distorted because they were values that I'd been been given to me, you know, sort of programmed to me in my conditioning. You know, I had very much the values of success and money, which was very much based on money and external things. Whereas once I did a lot of work and, you know, through NLP, this really changed me. I did a lot of work and I looked at what my values were and I actually realized that my main key value was helping other people. And helping other people. And once I worked out, that was what I really wanted to do. And success and money was what I was doing to, to prove to other people or to keep other people happy. It wasn't actually what was driving me. So once I worked out what my values were and got them in the right order, <laughs> then I go, okay, right, I'm going to have to make some major changes here because what I've been doing, and, you know, I knew I was excessively drinking. I was in a job that no longer inspired me. And... You know, I was also not trusting or really giving freely in my relationship. So I knew I had to make changes in all three of those areas to really then start living this life according to my values. Because my values were helping other people. You know, as long as I was helping other people, I was going to be fulfilled in my life. And as long as I'm fulfilled in my life, do you think I'm going to want to go and self-sabotage? No, because when, when you're fulfilled with your life, you don't, you don't need to go and seek external things, seek external things, seek, seek things outside of you to bring you fulfillment. So, yeah, so it meant I had to do a lot of, a lot of change, change in my environment, change in my lifestyle, change in my behaviour. So, you know, it was looking at the job, so thinking, you know, and, and, and every, day, every time I worked with helping people and, and I, I just loved it. <laughs> I was like, I've, I've just got to let the corporate job go. It's no longer what I need to do to fulfill me. So I had to obviously work on the job. I had to do quite major shifts in my relationship. And a lot of that was working on myself first so that I could then, you know, 
obviously give more to my relationship and then I had to obviously work on the drinking and what and looking at all of those three just just brought that this massive uh, self-discovery where I now can safely say I'm living a life according to my values and my desire to go and self-sabotage is just not there anymore that's wonderful Because not everybody can free themselves from that, or or sorry, everybody can, and not everybody does the work to do it. I completely agree. Yeah, it's not easy. You know, you have to put aside your fear, and then you know you have to take tremendous courage and and belief and conviction because to change. Because you're going into this unknown space. You know, I see it as like you know you're on a downhill ski slope, and you're at the top, and you're going. Do I either go down that path, that, that well-worn, carved-out path that everybody else goes down, you know, or do I, to get to the bottom, or do I go down this new path, that, you know, the off-piece one, which no one's going down, which I don't know if I'm going to make it to the bottom, the unknown, the one that's, you know, you're feeling like you're the only one going down it, and go down that one. And it's not easy because it's uncertain and it's unknown. But, you know, I believe that, you know, the quality of your life is is dependent on the level of uncertainty you can comfortably deal with. Oh, that was lovely. The quality of life is dependent on your comfort. On, on the level of uncertainty. Yeah. You can comfortably deal with because that's what I'm going. I'm just, I'm constantly always going, going down new paths and it's like, but it's, that's when you grow. So leaving, leaving corporate job and starting a business, there are some, I've seen this a lot and I've gone through this process myself. You have to change your beliefs Correct. Um, yeah. and adopt new ones, like going from an employee to a business owner. What specific and deliberate beliefs have you adopted uh, since becoming a business owner and entrepreneur? I think the biggest one is just, uh, you know, and, and I always like this, I was on Rob's podcast a week ago, and I really love That's Robert Bruce, go all in, you mean? Robert Bruce, go, I love that whatever it takes, go all in, because I, I believe as a business owner, you get so much more fear. I mean, you get that fear feeling, which we all get, you know, fear is only a reaction. It's not a decision. So you get that fear, that uncomfortable feeling, and when you get that, you just got to push on through it. <laughs> and that's what I've just been making my mantra is that I feel it, you know, like I really feel it. And But when you push on through it, then it's just, you know, you grow again and you grow again. So it's just pushing through that fear, go all in, show up. You know, I always, I, always, I mean, that's why I called my business Be Your Best Self. I always have every day I, I say to myself, you know, I'll be the best version of myself today. That's awesome. So where can people find you, Rachel? Yeah, oh, so they can find me, um, uh, rachelhine.com. Yeah, so, so I'm, I'm on, on rachelhine.com and then obviously all the normal social media links, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Awesome. And we'll definitely put a link to your site in the show notes, uh, which you can find at zoerath.com slash podcast slash rachelhind. What is one message you want to leave with the audience? The one message I want to leave is that, you know, is, is just what I said at the earlier, um, earlier is that, you know, sometimes it's our pain and suffering that can create the biggest opportunities and can really make you show up and, you know, become the best version of yourself. But you need to learn the lesson 
from that pain and suffering. So if we if we have the pain and suffering and we learn the lesson, then we will grow from it. If we have the pain and suffering and don't learn the lesson, then we will not grow from it. So I think we should never regret mistakes or pain or suffering that's happened in the past because if we learn from it, we grow. And sometimes if we look around, some of the role models, some of the most successful people, you know, for example, Oprah Winfrey, if you look at what her like, you know, life was like, what she went through when she was younger, a lot of the very successful people have been through the most amount of pain and suffering because they've just grown and grown and grown from it. So I actually believe that you can use it as opportunity to grow and to, to grow further beyond than what you ever could have imagined. Fantastic. I think that's a wonderful way to finish off the podcast is that keep learning and take the lesson with you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It was wonderful to hear your story. Thank you so much for the, your generous sharing of all your experiences and your insight. Yeah, well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Zoe. Hi, it's Zoe again, and I have a special announcement. I've got a free webcast coming up on 24th of September. It's specifically for senior leaders in construction, building, design, engineering, and architecture. Basically, the people who build stuff. It's called Boom or Bust, Three People Stuff Strategies to Make It Through the Tough Times Ahead. It's based on a lot of the new work I've been doing in my practice on people stuff. I'd love to have you join me. You can go to my webpage, zoeralph.com, and click on events, and you can register there. Make sure that you do it straight away, though, because you know how it is when you're listening to podcasts and away you go. You forget about these things. So go to the show notes. It'll be right there at the top of the page, and you can sign up. I look forward to seeing you there. Bye.